Our passage from God's holy and inspired word this evening comes from Colossians chapter 2. I will be reading this, this evening the first 15 verses of Colossians 2, but our focus this evening will simply be, or mainly be, on verses 9 and 10 as we look forward to uh, the approach of Christmas Day, as we focus our attention on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh. Uh, what is the significance of that for us as believers? So we'll focus on that, and then we'll be turning, after I read this passage, uh, to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 14, as a helpful uh, teaching tool to illuminate understanding of this passage. Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving." See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And now the two verses that we'll be focusing on this evening. For in Him, that is Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority." In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses." by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. And now if you would uh, take your blue Psalter hymnals and turn in the back uh, to Lord's Day 14 of the Heidelberg Catechism that's found on page 21 in the back of the hymnals there. This has been called the, the Christmas Lord's Day uh, because of the, the content, of course, helps us to think about what is the benefit, what is the importance of the holy conception of Jesus Christ. Question 35, I will read both question and answer as you follow along. Question 35 asks, what does it mean that He, Jesus, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? We confess that in the Apostles' Creed this evening. What does that mean? The answer, that the eternal Son of God, 
who is and remains true and eternal God, took to Himself, through the working of the Holy Spirit, from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, a truly human nature, so that He might become David's true descendant in all things like us, His brothers, except for sin. And then question 36, how does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? He is our mediator, and with His innocence and perfect holiness, He removes from God's sight my sin, mine since I was conceived. Well, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, during this time of year when we are often um, distracted uh, by all of the, the frills and the excitement, uh, and indeed the wonderful celebration uh, that this time of the year affords us. Uh, it's appropriate for us to take time to pause, especially as believers, and to think about the great and the glorious mystery of Christmas. We must have become so distracted by the, the seasonal aspects of Christmas that we fail to marvel the incredible gift of God come in the flesh, to, 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 to think about, to marvel, to worship God at the fact that the eternal Son of God Himself, the second person of the Holy Trinity, willingly took upon Himself our human flesh. That's what we confess. That's what the, the church of Christ has confessed from the very beginning that in the person, the one person of Jesus Christ, there exists, there dwells in unity two natures, one fully human, truly human, the other fully, truly divine. If you know anything about the history of the church, especially uh, the early years of the church, you know that the church has struggled sometimes. Uh, to balance, to have a proper understanding of the relationship between those two natures in the one person of Jesus Christ. And more often than not, um, there's an imbalance sometimes in the way that we relate these two natures of Jesus. And sometimes during Christmas, we especially struggle with that because our Christmas songs sometimes reflect that imbalance or that misunderstanding. Some of our songs tend to emphasize Jesus' divinity, but at the expense of His humanity. I think, for example, of the very popular um, children's Christmas song, Away in a Manger. What do we find in that song? Away in a manger, no crib for His bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down His sweet head. The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus... No crying he makes. Oh, really? How many of you who have an experience with a truly human infant have ever found them to make no peep during the night, to not cry? Why would we say that about our Lord Jesus Christ? In fact, of course, he wept at Lazarus' tomb. So we sometimes uh, tend to emphasize Jesus' divinity at the expense of His genuine, real humanity. Other Christmas songs do the opposite. They, they emphasize Jesus' humanity at the expense of His true divinity. 
Perhaps some of you remember an older Christmas song. It wasn't real popular. Uh, the singer was popular, Jackson Brown. He wrote a, a Christmas song called The Rebel Jesus. And this song portrays Jesus as a social justice warrior. And he's come to earth to preach against the, the injustices of the Roman Empire. He's a poor, uh, marginalized young man, part of the um, social minority. And he's come to earth to level the playing field. He's a rebel. But the Son of God, the eternal God of heaven and earth, well, that's a little too much uh, for this pop singer to acknowledge in his song. Well, in contrast to popular music, God's Word is clear. God's Word is clear as it reveals to us the glories and the perfections of our Lord Jesus Christ and the truth that sometimes is buried under the, the colored lights and the tinsel and the wrapping paper, a truth that we must never fail to, to grasp is this, that in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And Paul says, you have this fullness in Jesus Christ, who is your perfect mediator. We want to think about that this evening, uh, noticing two points tonight. First of all, what is the meaning of this fullness? What's the meaning of this fullness? And then secondly, uh, what's the benefit? What's the benefit of this fullness for us um, as believers? Well, if we were to turn uh, earlier on in the Heidelberg Catechism to Lord's Day 5, we would encounter a very important question and answer. This is the beginning of the Catechism. We're reminded that on account of our sin, we deserve to fall into the judgment of God. We're reminded that we as sinful human beings cannot pay that debt ourselves. And we're reminded also that another creature, a mere human being, also cannot pay that debt for us. And question 15 of, the Lord's, of, of Lord's Day 5 asks a very important question. And it asks this, what kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? The answer, he must be truly human and truly righteous, yet more powerful than all creatures. That is, he must also be true God. That is our deep human need. We need a perfect mediator who can meet God's requirements uh, for mediating between us as sinners and He as the holy God, and God met that need. That's the glorious message of, of Christmas, that God met our need as sinners by providing a perfect mediator in a very surprising, in a very miraculous way. God came into human flesh. God's true and eternal Son became the son of a Jewish virgin girl. And we mustn't lose sight of how incredible that is, how marvelous a miracle that is, that the eternal God of heaven and earth would enter into our time and our space, even into our flesh, all the while remaining the eternal God of heaven and earth. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, that's the great mystery of godliness. God manifests, God revealed 
in human flesh. And that's what Paul is saying here in, in our passage tonight in Colossians 2, verse 9 in particular. He's, he is writing to the, to the church, encouraging them to think about all that they have in Jesus Christ. And he says, all the fullness of deity, all that is God, came to earth to dwell in a body like ours. And what Paul wants us to understand is not only how special this wonderful plan of God is and was, but how necessary it was for God's Son to take on our human flesh in order to be our mediator. He had to do this in order to restore the relationship between a holy God and sinful humanity. Remember, of course, that this was the ancient desire of God's people. Sin had driven a wedge. It created a great chasm between God and His creatures. And there was a desire to, to be restored to intimate fellowship with God, to have that enmity removed, to have God come and to dwell once again among His people. And in fact, God had done that in a limited way. God coming to dwell on earth with his, with his people was not a strange idea. You remember, boys and girls, I'm sure you've studied this in Sunday school, that God came to dwell uh, in the past with His people, and He did so in the tabernacle for a while, and He also did so in the temple. But the tabernacle was a, was a portable dwelling, wasn't it? It kept moving around in the wilderness. Even the temple, that was um, a temporary building. It was destroyed after a while. And so if, if the temple and the tabernacle, these, these, these earthly dwelling places of God, if they reminded the people of anything at all, it was that there was still a great deal of distance between God and His people, the distance that sin had created. God still remained, in a very real way, unapproachable. To his people. There was a great measure of distance, and so the way that God had formerly dwelled with his people always anticipated a better day when God would come and dwell intimately with his people. And that's what took place in the fullness of time when God came to dwell with us in the fleshly tabernacle of Jesus Christ. When he took to himself a human nature, that's what Paul is talking about when he says all of the fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ. It tabernacles in the incarnated Jesus Christ. Think with me for a moment upon the glorious and mysterious miracle that God orchestrated for us in our salvation. That for us, the second person of the Trinity, who already had a full and real divine nature, took to himself a full and a real human nature. God took on manhood. The creator of heaven and earth willingly chose to dwell in that which he created. The potter, the molder, took upon himself the very clay that he had made. The incarnation, Jesus coming in the flesh, means that, that every attribute, every characteristic belonging to the Son of God from all eternity belongs to the person of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, the babe born in Bethlehem's manger, is real and complete God. The fullness of God's grace and love and mercy are found in Jesus Christ. The fullness of God's justice and anger and hatred against sin are dwelling in Jesus Christ. The babe in the manger did not cease for even a moment to be the ruler of the universe. And so we confess, like Thomas after he saw the risen Christ, my Lord and my God. This is who He is. As we think about the meaning of this fullness, we need to think about the necessity, the absolute necessity of this great miracle of the incarnation for our salvation, that that God had some qualifications for the mediator. Couldn't be just anyone. He had to be fully God and fully man. Question and answer 16, where we are faced with the question, why must He be truly human and truly righteous? God's justice demands it. Man has sinned, and man must pay for his sin, but a sinner cannot pay for others. The fullness of of God, the fullness of deity, needed to dwell in Jesus Christ, in His body, so that we might be made right with Him, so that we might be made full in Him. Jesus had to know, and He had to touch, and He had to experience our flesh and our blood and our circumstances completely. He had to enter this world that needed saving. The blood that He spilled on Calvary's cross had to be real human blood received from His mother, Mary. He needed to be fully human. Otherwise, He couldn't be our perfect mediator because only a true human can pay for the sins of others. That's one side of the equation. The other side is that He needed to be true and righteous God. But how would God accomplish that? How could He bring to us the God-man to be our Redeemer. After all, the people of Israel had longed for just that. The people of Israel had longed for a Redeemer that God promised would come through the line of David, the king. And yet we know, as we read the Old Testament, especially those kings following David, that no mere human was worthy to take David's throne. No mere human could rescue his people from their sin. In fact, if anything, David's lineage had been a complete flop, a total failure. Again, as the Catechism says, a sinner cannot pay for the sins of others. And so, what did God do? God Himself entered human history in a miraculous way to meet our our sinful human need. He provided the Messiah King that we needed. And He did it in such a way as to prove that our salvation from beginning to end is not the result of human effort. It's not the result of human will. It's the result of God's working. What did He do? He chose a human vessel, Mary, a humble virgin, and yet, miraculously, she was with child. David's lineage was bankrupt, total failure. And so God sent the only king who was worthy to take 
David's throne, and he sent that king through a woman. Truly, Jesus is David's legal heir to the throne through, through Joseph, uh, Mary's husband. But it's through Mary that the world receives a new son of David. What was impossible for man was possible for God. We needed a mediator who was both true and eternal God and at the same time a true and perfect human being. He needed to be a son of David. He needed to be like us in all things except for sin. Who could possibly produce such a mediator? Sinful mankind? Not a chance. Only God could provide such a mediator, and that's what He did. Out of His immense love, out of His great mercy, He gave us a beautiful baby boy, the holy infant Jesus, without the will of man, conceived in sinless perfection by the Holy Spirit, made like us in every way except for sin, so that He ever lives to make intercession for us as our sympathetic high priest. He knows our pain. He knows our suffering. He knows our depression and our sadness. He knows our sickness and our loneliness. When we could not reach up to God, God reached down to us to take on weakened human flesh so that we might be made truly full in Him. That's what Paul means when he says, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. But so what? What benefit is it? What, what, what blessing is it for us to know all that? How does the incarnation, you might wonder, how does the incarnation of my Lord Jesus Christ, how does that touch me? How does that affect me? The Apostle Paul here in chapter 2 says, very much, much in every way. He writes in Colossians 2 verse 10, And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and all authority. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we have everything that we need in Him, our perfect mediator. And so how does the incarnation of Jesus benefit you? First, it means that Jesus Christ is qualified to be your perfect mediator before the Father. He is qualified to be your perfect mediator. We, uh, we know about mediators today. Sometimes we have use uh, of mediators. For example, if a, if a labor union would go on strike, uh, the representatives from the union and from management would sit down, they would talk it through, they would iron out their, their differences. Uh, sometimes the government labor board might get in, um, in the mix to um, supply a mediator to help resolve the dispute so people can get back to work again. But if the mediator is going to be successful, he needs to be thoroughly acquainted with both sides, doesn't he? He has to know both sides of the argument, both the union side and the management side. The same could be said of the realm of, of marriage counseling. It really helps if the, the mediator has some personal experience uh, being married, knowing the ups and downs of marriage. 
Well, so it is, but to a much greater degree with our Lord Jesus Christ. He is both true God and true man in one person. As Paul says, the fullness of deity dwells bodily in Him. He's our perfect mediator because He knows what God desires and expects and demands. But He's also our perfect mediator because He knows what, what mankind hopes and fears and desires. When man went on strike against God, so to speak, by his rebellion in the garden, when, when humans sought a great divorce from their Creator, God graciously sent a perfect mediator, conceived by the Holy Spirit, true God, born of the Virgin Mary, true man. And so the glory of Christmas is that the infant child held in Mary's arms is already at that point your mediator your mediator, and He would go on to suffer and die on the accursed cross of Calvary for you because His incarnation was always meant to lead to crucifixion. And that's the second benefit of our Lord's incarnation. Paul really speaks of this in verses 13 to 14 in chapter 2 of Colossians. He says to the saints, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The immense, the unpayable debt that we owed when we rebelled against God and sought to divorce ourselves from Him and from His Word, God canceled that debt at the cross of Jesus Christ. His death could cover us in all of our sin. Why? Because Jesus had a fully human nature that is qualified to pay for our sins in our place. No other being could do it. His death, His perfect sacrifice could cancel the debt of our transgressions. Why? Because Jesus is also God. And by the power of His divinity, He bore the weight of God's anger in His humanity to earn for us and to restore to us righteousness and eternal life. The apostle rejoices in this in chapter 1 of Colossians, verses 19 through 20. He says, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of His cross. There's much in every way in terms of the benefit of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. But finally, what is the final benefit of Christ's incarnation? Paul says we have been filled in Him. And we share, as believers, we share right now in Christ's power and His authority over every rule and authority in the heavenly places. Look what he says in, in verses 10 through 12 and then verse 15 of chapter 2. He says, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, 
in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And then what He says in verse 15, He that is Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Paul says, look at all the benefits of belonging to Christ, your mediator. As believers in Jesus, we have, he says, put off the body of the flesh. That means we no longer live our lives in the realm of the flesh as if we are chained to the sinful desires of our flesh. We have been freed from that dominion. Christ has has transferred us out of the kingdom of this world into His kingdom so that we now live through Him. We live in Him. We live under His Lordship. Paul, again, turning back to chapter 1 in Colossians, verses 13 through 14, he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We see this so beautifully portrayed for us in our own baptisms. We saw it this morning. In baptism, we identify with Jesus Christ in His death and His resurrection, and we're reminded that He has already vanquished. He has already defeated the power of Satan and death. And right now, brothers and sisters, He is strengthening you. He's empowering you to live new lives of freedom and joy in Him. He has, Paul says, disarmed all rulers and authorities, and He has triumphed over them through His Son. And this triumphant King, who once came to earth as a helpless babe, always lives and reigns to make intercession for you in heaven before God as your perfect mediator. And so, is there a great benefit to the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, yes, in every way. He can, as fully God and fully man, be your perfect mediator. He has fully paid for all of your sins on the cross, and He rules now and ever over all powers and dominions, and you have the victory in Him. And so believe in Him. Believe on Him. Contemplate. Think about His glories and His perfections day by day. Love Him. Love Him with all of your heart, with all of your life. All the fullness of deity dwells in Him bodily. That means He alone can be your perfect mediator. Believe that. Believe that He cannot and He will never fail you because you are sheltered forever under the protection of His mighty wings. When God looks at you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus' innocence and perfect holiness dwelling bodily for you. And He promises that as you reach out to Him in faith, He will cover your sins in the blood of Jesus' cross and carry you to be with Him in eternal glory. Amen. Let's pray together.
Gracious Heavenly Father, we are amazed at the amazing, miraculous, and surprising way that you broke into human history, into your history, to meet our fundamental need as sinful human beings, to meet our need by providing, giving your own Son, who willingly came to take upon himself our weak and frail human flesh so that he might be qualified to be our perfect mediator, to put away our sins by the blood of his cross, to defeat the power of Satan and sin and death, and to give us a hope and a future. We thank you that we have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Lord, help us to live in light of that glorious reality, in light of the victory that we have through Jesus Christ, the babe in the manger, our perfect mediator, the ruler of heaven and earth. Through him we pray, amen. Let's... Sing in praise to the Lord, turning in the celebration hymnal now to number 249, 249, O come all ye faithful. And let's stand together and sing all of those stanzas, number 249. 